Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. I didn't say that. Mm -hmm. Jesus said that. So he's being used as a political football. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. Your faith journey is not something you can call in and have someone else do for you. There's no Uber Eats for your faith. It is instead <laughs> something that you have to do on your own. You That's have to good. do the work, but we can come alongside you. We can challenge you. We can push you. We can yes. educate yes. you, and we can teach you how to think for yourself and critically think for yourself so that your faith is your own and you know what you believe and why you believe it. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the salt of the earth himself, <laughs> Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome, everybody. I'm so glad you're here with us today. We're really digging into this new thing, and I, I think it's uh, uh, quite a challenge to wade into the deep end of the pool, so to speak. Mm. Most people are really wondering about what is my role as a Christian in politics and what is my church's role uh, in politics? And it seems like there's a lot of opinions out there. And so instead of ignoring it, I just thought maybe what we ought to do is try to start a new series and wade into it and see what we can discover. Absolutely. I mean, we started this new series, My Political Jesus, mm -hmm. specifically because of that you told me your desire was to really understand how politically active a church in America should be, not mm -hmm. what the politicians say we should be, yes. and not even sometimes what the congregations say we should be. Correct. We even got a call earlier today from someone who said, hey, there's going to be a, a pride parade downtown. What is your church's response to that? And how are you going to fight it? And it's like, uh, well, we're having roundup if you want to come to that. But I mean, there's people's expectations yes. based on, well, your church or the church as a whole should do this. Yes. And as Pastor Harv says, he hates it when people should on him. Yeah. And the Bible gives us an exact description about what yeah. we should and should not do. Yes. And then yes. it's gotten twisted over the time. So yes. what, what? should we start talking about what's our, what's the topic we need to discuss as a church as far well, as Well, I got thinking go. about this for that very reason. You know, we have, you know, there's pressure from different groups outside and inside that want you to do various things. But, uh, I think over the course of my life, I, I obviously was born in America. I was actually born in Wichita, Kansas, but when I was one month old, we moved to St. Louis mm. and I was in St. Louis until I was six, I believe. Okay. And then we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where my father started the clinical research center there. He helped start the, um, you know, and infuse the medical school. He started research labs uh, in endocrinology and all these things. So I grew up there. And then uh, when I got out of high school, I went to Alaska for a while, a few months, not very long. And then at the, semester in January, I started my undergrad education in Manhattan, Kansas. And then I graduated there with a degree in Bible and theology. And then my master's was in education from Friends University in Wichita. That's when I met Kim, my wife, we got married. That was almost 34 years ago. And then we moved here 27, almost 28 years ago. And I became the lead pastor here at Foothills and I got my doctorate when I uh, moved out here. 
from a seminary in the Puget Sound area in Redmond to okay. be exact. And so all of this education, all this study, all of this living as an American my entire life, I looked back over the history of the church and history of Christianity. And sometimes I'm proud and sometimes I'm embarrassed. And there's a lot mm. of things I, I'm really embarrassed about for the church throughout its history. Uh, when I studied Western civilization, I was embarrassed that so many governments, organizations, sometimes the church and individuals would do things in the name of Jesus. Right. And I would think, man, since I've been a student of the word, read the word, memorized the word, it's like, where in the world did they get this? I mean, they're not reading the Bible at all because some of the stuff that they're doing is crazy. For instance, Jesus has been used as a political football for 2000 years. It started very early on in the Roman empire. As a matter of fact, the Roman uh, empire persecuted Christians because they called them atheists. Mm. And the reason they called them atheists is because Jesus was a human being. So you won't worship the gods. You're worshiping a human being. So that's how they, they didn't, they would not acknowledge the deity of Christ. Correct. And so they were atheists because they didn't believe in divine gods, which is, isn't that interesting? That is interesting. So they used Jesus to persecute them. The second thing they did is they accused Christians of being cannibals. Isn't that an interesting accusation? Uh, what? Yeah. They accused <laughs> oh, them of being- because they're eating the body- And blood. And the uh, blood. Yeah. Oh, that's the, actually, the, I do- The so body and blood and drinking the blood of, uh, eating the body and drinking the blood of the, Jesus. The Norse people also believed that Christians were cannibals. At least they portray that in uh, that the uh, Green Knight. Zach yeah. and Chase and I went and saw that for our movie podcast, and they make a joke about he's some zombie that eats that yeah. their his their followers eat his flesh or yeah. something of that nature. So okay, that makes yeah. Sense. So they make a big yeah. That was and the Romans did that. So they used Jesus right to persecute them. Okay, you know they they said well you guys are cannibals. Um, in the eighth century, Charlemagne. Uh, he was part of the Carolina, uh, empire. And this is where North Carolina and South Carolina, that state got its name. Okay. And what happened is he went and took over entire countries. He, he was the first one to basically reform the Roman empire. Cause the Roman empire collapsed in the, like the fifth century. And so he was and trying to do the new and about improved. 200 late years later, he started kind of in the, the Frankish area, the German area. And he came through and he, uh, took over Spain. He took over France. He took over Italy. He got rid of the Lombards in Northern Italy. He took over, uh, Germany and big chunks of what would be considered today, Eastern Russia. And he, so he took over all this stuff. But one of the things he did is he would, because he was a big supporter of the Pope, he mm-hmm. would come in and he would take over, like he took over Spain. And then what he did is he forcibly baptized everybody made them Christians hmm. by force. And as a matter of fact, he, he passed, uh, there was a law called uh, Capitulatio di Partibus Saxione, and it was against the Saxons. And that was basically, you must be baptized upon pain of death. Okay. If we catch you and you've not been baptized, we'll kill you. Okay. I'm embarrassed about that. That's, that's kind of a, yeah, that's not a great mark on 
yeah. Lo- that's yeah. Not a if good you luck. believe in me, you know, yeah. um, and Jesus said, you know, the world will know you're my followers by your love for one right. another. Yes. <laughs> we will kill you if you don't get baptized. Right. <laughs> so there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Then, you know, you move on up into probably the 13th century, 14th century, which is the 1300s. John Wycliffe, he translated the Bible into the vernacular, meaning the common language of the people. He wanted the average Joe to be able to read the Bible. Well, the Roman Catholic Church declared him a heretic after he died for doing that. They dug up his bones, you know, to, so that he would be dishonored. You know, they desecrated his grave because of that. Uh, the Spanish Inquisition, you know, made famous more by Monty Python than anybody else. Yes, actually. Uh, but the Spanish Inquisition was an arm of the mar- monarchy. A lot of people don't realize is that it was an arm of the monarchy, but it used the Catholic Church doctrinal wing to try basically purge their political rivals. Okay. So that's what they did. And they thought, well, we're going to unify under this. So that's pretty in... In embarrassing, you know, uh, they, they, they supported the, the Roman Catholic church at that time supported that because Ferdinand and Isabella who opposed the Spanish inquisition, uh, they believed that Jesus taught the divine right of Kings. So they used Jesus as a political football to do what? Get rid Justify of their, their so this is just, this is just, you know, throughout history, I was embarrassed for the Lutheran church during world war II. A lot of people don't know that the Lutheran church actually took the swastika and superimposed it over the Lutheran cross Mm. on their churches, basically saying that Jesus is supportive of Nazism. You know, I was embarrassed for the Catholic church's uh, neutrality during world war two in the Holocaust. I mean, that's not a good thing, right? You know, how, how could you say that Christ would want you to be neutral in that? You know, I, I was, I was embarrassed over the pastors in the South during the Jim Crow laws and how they got established. And a lot of people are not aware of this, but Jim Crow laws were established by the government, Mm. not by religious people, but by the government. But the Jim Crow pastors didn't speak against it. Right. Okay. Until Martin Luther King came along today. I'm embarrassed. I, I am. I'm embarrassed for the church in the world and sometimes America today. Did you know that 37% of Protestant pastors believe you can be saved by being a good person? Just be a good person. It has nothing to do with Jesus. It's a wild swing from be baptized or we kill you. Yeah, there is. A, <laughs> that, that is a good point. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's really fascinating to me that these pastors are functionally biblically illiterate. They, well, they don't know what Jesus actually said. Jesus said. And then they're also leading their congregations to be yeah, biblically illiterate. Illiterate. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that. So he's being used as a political football. I'm embarrassed over uh, the other side of it, the celebrity culture of the church in America. Before COVID, it was, it was getting really big, you know. Most people just didn't care because it was about cool sneakers and hip pants and, and cool music that you dropped, you know, and Instagram followers. Right. Mm-hmm. But then it started not, not 
it started before COVID, probably about seven or eight years ago, a lot of the celebrity culture in evangelical churches began to jump on the bandwagon of this social justice, progressive Christianity, which is a refutation of biblical Christianity. This social justice ideology isn't just something that can be brought in under the, the umbrella of what Jesus taught. It actually refutes what Jesus taught. And so I was embarrassed about that. I guess guess you could say it was these things that I learned in history. And then I see history repeating itself today in my lifetime in America and in the world that led me to want to educate people on what's going on in order for them to make up their own minds and chart their own course for their faith instead of being influenced by some empty philosophy of men in a society that has gone off the rails. So, I mean, it really seems like people have basically taken Jesus's name and they're using it as a a political football or as a, as a brand they can co-opt to use his name to further their own goals Mm -hmm. to sell you on political positions or Mm -hmm. ideologies or, or ideas, whatever it might be. They just basically take it as a sticker and say, Jesus approved, you know, it's like, you know, and so. On the other hand, there is the people that have followed his words yes, and have truly followed Jesus that have made a serious impact. You've talked multiple times about several different groups that have been Bible-believing church people that have made massive, amazing progressive or progression in in ideologies and, and fixing things that have been wrong with our country and many other places. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Well, a yeah. Bit? I mean, I'm extremely proud of John Wycliffe, you know, and his, his entire life and his writings, you know, uh, the fact that he just had this core value. And that is, is that I want every person who has faith in Jesus Christ to read his words themselves. I mean, what a and powerful he's the guy thing. that translated everything yeah. for from, into the vernacular. Yeah. And the vernacular was basically common language. Like he, he, uh, translated the new Testament into middle English is what, what was they called it before it at the time. Latin or yeah, it was always in Latin and the Catholic and, church did not want people cause none of the people spoke Latin. It was only the, the mass was the done in Latin and stuff. Could yeah. Do. Which is another reason why stained glass was so important in churches because you go to mass the priest would do it in Latin. You'd say so prayers in Latin. You didn't know what you were saying. It was the original ASMR. You're just listening to this guy yeah. talk for and three hours and trying to stay awake. So you look at the pretty stained glass pictures too. Yeah, well, the stained the glass story, was right? the a visual representation of the Bible stories. Right. So you could look at it and go, oh, Peter, he's got the keys to the kingdom. And the, the, that's why art was such a big deal because people were so illiterate. Mm. But they could get the stories just like movies are today are so right. powerful. It's very similar to that. I, I'm really, really proud of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran pastor. And he was one of the few Lutheran pastors that actually spoke against Nazism and said, look, Nazism is incompatible with New Testament Christianity. And so he called the church out. As a matter of fact, he went so far as to be part of the group that tried to assassinate Hitler. I don't know if you are aware of this historical event, but what happened is they put a bomb in a briefcase and they had it planted in his war room, right? And 
it went off and it killed everybody. And the only reason it didn't get Hitler is because he left the room right before it went off for some really odd reason. I can't recall what mm. it was like, go to the bathroom or do something strange that he never does. And so that was the closest assassination tip on Hitler that, that almost succeeded. So, mm. and because of that, he was uh, eventually arrested and then he was put in a prison. His family though was extremely powerful. And so they were able to, uh, delay, but he was ultimately hung two weeks before, before the the war. his concentration camp was emancipated by the allies. Huh. And what's really amazing, it was while he was in prison that he wrote the book cost of discipleship, mm. which is one of the, the marquee books that people read to understand what does it mean to follow Christ? And to, so I'm very proud of him. He, he not only stood against Nazism, but his own church. Right? right. To, to speak the truth. And why did he do that? Cause he knew the Bible. He knew the word of God. I'm really proud of pastors and preachers and teachers who embraced the, the civil rights movement that was designed to remove the Jim Crow laws, the unjust actions of the government in the deep South. Uh, I'm proud of churches today that are standing on biblical truth and not compromising the word they are standing strong in the midst of the desire to turn Jesus into a celebrity or a cool cat or, or whatever to try to get people to like him. Jesus didn't come. So you would like him. He came to save you and he is your King. That's right. He's your King. There's only one King. It's him. You're not God. You're not a king. You're nothing. He's the king. The only way you'll ever find redemption, salvation, healing, wholeness, move from death to life to fill your soul, ultimate joy, authentic identity, the capacity to have your eyes open and see the reality of what's going on is when he is your king. There's no other way to do it. And that's what's critically important. So I think the question is, we see all of these very terrible uses of what Jesus would or would not do. Yes. And we've seen some very good examples. How are we supposed to be authentic followers of Jesus that are like those amazing people you mentioned, those mm -hmm. pastors who helped with civil rights, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, those people, when it could be construed as a political thing yeah, and still try to stay out of the political fray of the day-to-day -day slog and, and not be wrapped up in all of the craziness. How do we, how do we identify that? Well, I think it's really important to think critically. And, and first you have to ask, ask and answer the question. Are we talking about individual Christians or the church church, like the big, big C, C church? church. Uh, what are we talking about? There's a difference between what you as an individual follower of Jesus Christ is called to do in American politics and what your church leadership is called to do in American church politics. Those can be different. I guess that's interesting because I, I guess I haven't really ever thought about it as being separate, right? Like mm -hmm. you, you kind of get this idea of, well, I am part of my church, so what am I supposed to do? But really there's what the church is supposed to do and what I as an individual who is part of the church is mm -hmm. supposed to do. We have to think about them separately. So what would you... A little bit separately, yeah. And I think, well, first we have to go to our uh, core values. You know, I think it's necessary to think in this way because your individual response may fall under the umbrella of your church's response. Um, it may even divert dramatically from your church's response, but both of them still be biblical responses, mm. you see? Okay. And you have to think through that. 
And that is the first core value is this. What is the mission of the church? Jesus said very specifically in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Okay. So that's the mission of the church. Pretty clear. In Acts chapter one, seven, Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven in eight, he says, you must go and pray. You'll receive power. And he says, once you receive the power of the Holy spirit, you will be my witnesses in the world. And he starts off with Judea, Samaria, the larger section, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born and the Holy spirit descended, right? That's when the church became empowered by the divine presence of Jesus. Guess what happens? We are now his witnesses. We are now his witnesses. So we are his witnesses. So your church, its primary goal is to make disciples and teach you how to be a witness. Okay. As an individual part of your church. And so when you look at the leadership of the church, what is the primary job of an elder in the church says the shepherd should do what protect the flock from false teaching. Okay. So it's, I've said this before, Christianity is a propositional truth statement. And so the problem is there's all these philosophies and ideologies and all of these things that sound nice on the surface, but then when you look their derivation, where they came from, what they're built upon, boy, you find all kinds of interesting things. Mm. And so what elders are supposed to be doing more than anything else is protecting people from false doctrine. We just want to stay focused on the purity and simplicity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, what, because they're doing that, you don't want the church to spend its time, the leadership becoming politically active all the time. Right. You know, now a lot of people want their pastor or their elders to be politically active so that, and this is my opinion, this is salty. They don't have to do the work themselves. They just say, okay, pastor, who should I vote for? Right. Pastor, who should I? Tell me what to do. What are you doing? And then I'll just follow you. And what is the whole point of the salty pastor? What is the whole point of Foothill Scripture Church? We are here not to what? Tell you what what to to do or what to think. We're here to get you to do what? Think for yourself. The reason why Christianity in America has become anemic is because there's too many people in a pastoral role who are willing to assume the role of telling people how to think, what to do, what music to listen to, who to avoid, who to vote for, what you should eat. I mean, they, everything. They want the Uber Eats of faith. Yeah. And what that, and so there's a lot of people, and I don't have a problem with it, have come to Foothills, and then they leave Foothills because they want me, their pastor, Pastor Doug, they want to put me on a pedestal to tell them how to live their lives. And I'm like, I'm not interested in telling you how to live your life. You need to live your life. Mm. You know, you need, you need to live your life. And I learned this lesson early on when I first started out. In my very first ministry, I was in a church. I called it the Hamburger Church because it was round. Okay. You know, and it's built out of brick. And what they decided to do is it, it had one shade of brick, you know, on the first floor and the second floor. And then to demarcate the floor, they put this lighter color strip in there and it looked like a giant hamburger to me. Okay. <laughs> so I call it, church. Yeah. I called it my hamburger church. I worked there for a couple of years and in uh, student ministry. And I, I just really remember early on 
that there was a group of people that were following one of the associate pastors and the associate pastor uh, was talking in a staff meeting one time and just said that, well, if I don't tell these people what to do, they won't know what to do. Hmm. And that always struck me as really odd because I always thought is that, well, the goal of my life is I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Right. I want to know who Jesus is. I want to follow his commands and I want to make up my own mind. I want to become a man. Relationship. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm living my life for an audience of one person and that's Jesus. Nobody else, you know, because I'll tell you what, if I'm trying to lead those, get those, tell those people how to live, or I'm trying to get approval from these types of people, then I get, I mean, we all have moral conundrums all the time. How do we make a decision? Right. We all have that. Well, nobody is a morally pure person that doesn't exist. What we do is we get into these conundrums and then we make decisions. And most of the decisions people make create train wrecks in their lives. Mm. And everybody has the same temptations. Everybody has the same problems, the same sin, the same brokenness. You know, it, it presents itself in different ways. We're all in the same boat as human beings. But the one thing that makes the difference between this person, and this person is that this person has decided, look, I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to think for myself and figure out what did Jesus want me to do on this course of action. And then I'm going to trust him with the result, right? Right. That, in my opinion, is what the goal of the salty pastor is. That's what the goal of Foothills is. And that's why a lot of people don't like to go to Foothills <laughs> because we're like, um, yeah, you need to grow up and be a man. You know, one thing about Foothills is you walk around and you see a boatload of men's men, right? Mm. And I'm just not talking beards, right? You see a lot there of men. There are a lot of beards. Though. There are a lot of beards here. But what you see is you see a lot of men who own their own companies, own their own businesses. They run things. They're in charge. They have good families. Why? Because, you know, they're not trying to go walk around and be macho men. What right. they are, though, is they are men's men because they're living for an audience of one and they think for themselves. They decide for themselves. The last thing they want to be is a sheep, right? And so they're sheep dogs. They want to protect the flock, but they want to be able to make discerning decisions all on their own. So these are the core values that I think you have to have that are going to cause you to act differently in different political situations. Case in point, if you're in China right now, the leadership of the church is attempting to get along with the communist party there, the CCP, but it's not working because they're being arrested. They're being tortured. They're being uh, put in uh, concentration camps. They're being enslaved and their building church buildings are being demolished by the CCP. On the other hand, all the individual Christians in China right now are witnessing like crazy, like never before. And one of my dreams right now is to see the political tsunami that's going to happen in China as more and more Chinese become Christian. We're going to talk about that in future weeks. It's called the 33% principle. And I believe that right now the percentage of Christians in China is reaching 25 to 28%. Mm. It's really hard to track because it's illegal to be a Christian there. Right. And once it hits 34, 35%, what you're going to see is a tsunami shift politically. And I hope that I'm alive long enough to have that. You look at, um, Saudi Arabia, you look at Iran, you look at Iraq, you look at all of these countries that are dictatorships or monarchies, your response as a leader in the church or the church leadership is going to be different than individuals, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and in some of those places, leadership of church is not even allowed to exist, right? 
So, so how, now how do you take those two core values, how my leadership is supposed to respond and how am I supposed to respond and apply it to the political system? And that's what I hope we can dig into in a much more detailed way over the next four weeks. But in America, we're still in the midst of this huge experiment. And the experiment is this, a system of self-governance. And this did not exist in the first century when the New Testament was written. It didn't exist until 1776. So the main point of self-governance was that the political authority was not in a person, a king, a dictator, or a ruler, or in a people, but it was in, so that you're, you're subject to the whims of the people. It, all the authority to govern was put in a thing called the Constitution. And it dictates what authority the leaders we elect have. This is why when a president tries to do something, whether it's Trump or whether it was Biden, you know, people say, well, you can't do that. And they go, why? And you go, cause it's unconstitutional. Mm. See, even their power is eliminated. Uh, therefore the role of the church in America is totally different. And how does the church leadership take the unchanging biblical principles and apply them to our situation today? And how do you as an individual follow Jesus and take these principles from the Bible and apply them to your responsibility as a citizen today. That's our discussion. I think this is going to be an amazing discussion over the next couple of weeks, because I think having that critical thought of the church is called to something different. Their yes. mission is different than what my mission is. Yes. And there's times when they will overlap and there's times when the missions deviate mm -hmm. and we have to be aware and not try to lump them all together. I loved when you were talking about the idea of people just wanting to lazily follow someone and not have to think for themselves. When I used to tour all the time, I loved not being the lead car Yeah, because you literally just stare at the back of a trailer and you just follow the trailer wherever it goes. Yes. They're in charge of the GPS. They're in charge of setting yeah. the speed. They see if there's wrecks coming up, you get to just basically turn zone your brain off out. and go. And there's a lot of people in America today that just want to zone out on their faith and yes. follow, well, what's the pastor doing? The pastor says, buy a Mercedes. I'm going to buy a Mercedes. He says, yes. we're doing this, then we're doing that. And it's like, they haven't taken a minute to stop and go, oh, but what if yes. I had a different thing? Yes. And I mean, I think we see that in everything, you know, even politics, that there's a lot of things where it's like, I believe, you know, you see these people that are like, I'm just going to vote for whichever one has the elephant or the donkey. Yes. Right. And I don't care what they're actually doing. I just know that I'm supposed to vote for the elephant or the donkey. Right. Yes. And we we're very good at turning our brains off these days. And mm -hmm. you as the salty pastor and the whole idea behind this podcast is turn your brain back on yes. and start thinking for yourself. And you yes. may come to the same conclusion as you originally were doing, Yes, but, you but now you know why. Yes, you know why. So I'm very excited for this discussion. I'm excited for where we're going in the next yes. few weeks in this thing. And I think this whole thing is just going to be an amazing discussion. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you joining us on a weekly basis to talk, to learn, to develop your critical thinking skills. Again, make sure you, um, if you are in the Boise area, you come and attend Roundup. If you can only watch online, we're going to have some stuff for you to help participate in Roundup as well. But we are kicking off My Political Jesus this week and a brand new live discussion group after the sermons where you can get engaged um, with various congregants from our church who are going to do the discussion questions. So if you can't attend in person or you don't have a discussion group or a small group, you can see what it's like and get engaged. So we have so many great things starting this Sunday. We hope you to see you here on campus or online, Foothills Boise, YouTube. Thank you so much. Blessings. We'll see you Sunday.